Legal Matters. And Simba Takuva is my guest director at Takuva Attorneys and uh, is also a consultant at Mulatudi Incorporated. Simba, thank you so much, my brother, for joining me here. Do you like our studio? I love the studio. It's nice, yeah? yeah. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. You know, I, I always uh, speak to you over the phone. We, we've never met uh, and uh, we always have a great conversation. So it's really, really wonderful to have you in studio uh, to see you in person. You. We're talking this evening about optimizing property investment structure. What does that mean, Simba? Yeah, good evening to your listeners as well, Aubrey, and thank you for hosting me today. What I, I, I mean when I, when I talk about optimizing those investment structures is really with investments, Everything is about optimization. Yep. So in any investment, there's a cost, there are fees, um, and there are certain loopholes and pitfalls that um, the investor has to be careful and, and wary of. And so when we talk about optimizing in the legal financial speak, we're really talking about making sure that you have the best structure uh, in place to maximize the return from that investment. Right, right, right. And, and I suppose that goes to issues of ownership, and how you can structure the ownership of that property for the purpose uh, of investment? Absolutely. So it goes to maybe, let's say, two or three issues. Firstly, definitely ownership yep. and uh, governance of, of that structure that you've chosen. And secondly, the management of the property itself. Um, who manages it? Um, who's responsible for what costs? Um, and certainly... Um, how do you then manage the tenants uh, insofar as that, that, that investment is concerned? Right. And then the final element, I would say, is divestment. So how do you uh, terminate a lease? How do you sell the property at the end of a particular tenure? How do you manage um, the ownership transferring from one person to another while the tenant is remaining in the property? Um, how does that affect the rights of the tenant as well? So there, there are a number of steps along the way that make it very important to to optimize what typically are the pitfalls uh in some of those areas and you've chose you've talked about three uh, mm. uh areas uh, and uh, top of my mind is the ownership issue but clearly it's not just ownership mm -hmm. right but what are the the typical issues that arise out of the way that we structure these kinds of deals for the purpose of earning some sort of investment return uh, um, uh when we purchase or when we want to go into the property property space so most of the people who end up, let's say, in a retail or pedestrian investment space with property, um, they do it informally. So whether you're an individual or you have partners, typically what happens is that there's no real structure in place. You just go to the bank or you've, you've got some money uh, from, from a bonus or what, what have you. You decide you're just going to buy an apartment and you're going to lease it out. And you do it in your own personal name. Um, but even sometimes with, with partnerships, we find partnerships where you'll have one individual maybe is the one who actually owns the property in terms of the title deed of that property. But many other people have made contributions to enable that property to be purchased. Yeah. And there is this sort of tacit partnership that is there. Um, and the, the difficulties with having that level of informality is yeah. you can end up um, losing money or losing income. Um, not having the right structure in place also, especially in the case of partnerships, 
leads to uh, a lot of disputes, let me put it this way, because you often find that one person maybe brought the, the bulk of the capital to invest in this, but then the other person was supposed to maybe be the more hands-on with the property management and different people were different, bringing different things. But those things are not always easy to quantify and to to justify, let's say, the distribution of income at the yeah. end of the day when yeah. there actually is money there. Um, so uh, having an informal uh, a structure... It can come. It's cheap. Uh, I won't deny it. It's, it's a fairly simple thing to set up and you just, you, you know, you get your loans. But I think that uh, first and foremost, definitely you, you, you do lose um, um, uh, income. You have a hotbed for dispute uh, with your partners in future. Um, oftentimes what you have is if, if the investment doesn't go well, you compromise your own personal financial record as well. Um, now you had to either sell this property because the bank was coming after you for unpaid mortgages and, and your personal uh, profile is now linked to this, which then damages your ability to raise more capital for, for future investments. Um, uh, poor management of the property can also result in, in um, loss of value. So it can lead to loss of value. And um, yeah, I think also just a, a bad tenant management Um um, and again, it comes from not having something formal in place, not yeah. understanding the lease, uh, how leases work, technically how they work, and and then um, not knowing your rights when it comes to to managing tenants. And um, yeah, so I, I do think that there, there are a number of pitfalls that we have engaged with a number of of our own clients on or just heard about um, um, on the street. Um, and the important thing is. When you decide to go into an investment like this, you need to be deliberate about it. You need to plan it ahead. You need to understand what your intention is. Um, do you want to stay for the long term? Do you just want to buy something, flip it in a few right, years? Or, right, you know, right, right. And are you going in alone? Are you going with partners? Are you going to borrow money from the bank? You know, so, so all of these considerations have to be really taken into account then when, when you factor all of that in, you then start to have the basis of, okay, what kind of structure do, do I think we need? So I suppose, exactly. So, so, so I suppose the structure you put in place is going to be informed by what you want to do. Yes. So if, 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 if you are wanting to be in the business of property buying and rentals, that's a particular structure. Mm. But you could be in the business of buying property to sell. Mm. That would require a different uh, uh, um, structure altogether. You could be in the business of wanting to buy property to fix, then sell. Absolutely. So, 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 so I'm, I'm beginning to, to get closer to understanding this. When... when you know, one of the big issues in this country is the fact that a lot of people are now a little afraid of getting into the property market. Uh, particularly those who are in the space where they are thinking about buying a piece of property so that they can rent it out because mm -hmm. of, uh, I suppose, certain ambiguities in legislation around how you um, resolve issues with tenants. Uh, when is it uh, okay and under which conditions and in which way do you ask people to leave your property and vacate your property should there be a disagreement? Um, when uh, rentals are supposed to be paid, they're not paid in time. Uh, 
is that fear justified? Are, are South Africans who are wanting to buy properties to get into the rental space justified in being afraid to get into that business because of those issues of legislation? No, I don't think it's necessarily justified. Look, uh, I won't deny that uh, the Prevention of Illegal Evictions Act, um, the popularly known as PI, um, it, it has introduced a certain level of um, bureaucracy, yeah. right, in, in what was previously simply a contractual matter. Uh, look, I give you the right notice in terms of the contract and you, dip, you have to uh, now leave the property within that time. Um, but what you, we need to remember is that the, the, the PI Act really was put in place to protect both. So it protects both landowners and tenants. So I don't think that the perception that the PI Act is necessarily biased against landlords is is justified. Um, I, uh, at the same time, though, have to agree that there is a lot of bureaucracy now, and it's expensive. Yeah. Um, so as a landlord, um, why do I have to spend money just to get someone out of my property who typically has not been paying rentals? Um, and now I have to now go to lawyers and, and go to a court process just to get this person out of the property. Um, I, th- I think it, there are questions of social justice. There's a lot of debate when the Pi Act was enacted and it has continued um, ever since that. And it's, it's a complex process. Um, but I think, again, if you think about this from the outset and you plan around um, and you educate yourself, uh, whether you, you, you're alone or you have a partnership, on what does it mean uh, when we want to evict someone. Um, you put yourself in the best uh, place or the best position to be able to actually implement when the time comes. Talk to me about that specifically. I mean, I, I've had some of the most harrowing stories come through, and you'll see uh, as we open up the lines, people will, will, will start talking about that. But I've heard some of the most harrowing stories about how um, how people have have stayed in a property and not paid their rent, and the owner of the property can simply do nothing. So I'm interested to find out how do you structure that kind of business in such a way that you are legally insulated against that kind of thing where people will not want to leave uh, your property if they haven't paid rent if uh, and what is the counter argument i suppose from that person who is in the property and saying no i'm not going to pay rent uh, what is what what typically are the arguments there okay so uh, to to the first question as to how you structure yourselves to to be in the best place to deal with this i think that you need to have your own internal process. So as an, as an investor or as an investment club, whatever you are, um, you need to say, okay, look, this is a possibility that it will happen to us. We will need to respond to this. Um, and in that environment, you then say, okay, what are the rules of, of compliance with this, with this act? What, do, what would we need to do? And the act simply talks about you have to give certain notice to the to the tenant um, that they are now an unlawful occupier. So you have a lease. You have to put the tenant into into breach, and then they become an unlawful occupier once they fail to pay the rental. And then once they're an unlawful occupier, you give them the notice. You have to then get the notice uh, served out of uh, court uh, via the sheriff. 
to this tenant. And then there's a number but, of... But, but by that time, you've been out of pocket, right? I mean, you, you, yes. you've, 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 you've paid lawyers. Yeah, you've paid lawyers. You've done all sorts of nice things, yeah? Yeah. yeah? Um, look, the, the point is that if, if at least you've factored it into your planning, then hopefully you've raised some provisions for this. Uh, you know, in, an, in any investment in any business, you raise provisions for certain eventualities occurring. Um, granted, you don't necessarily insure yourself against a, a tenant not paying their rent, but at least you can put aside a little pot, uh, or you can even have a pre-arrangement with an attorney, uh, who's, who's an expert in, in, in property and say, look, we just want to know that all our, our, um, lease agreements are properly structured to deal with these issues. We want to also make sure that in the event that there's a breach, especially due to non-payment, that we can uh, take the, the most efficient route to, to getting recourse and to, and to evicting this individual uh, from the property. Um, and then just uh, on the question you've asked about what do you hear from the tenants? Um, uh, look, typically uh, tenants have hit hard times. Um, the tenant is is begging for more time, um, begging for for some 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 level of leniency, um, and ultimately, once it it sort of gets to that level where lawyers' letters are getting exchanged, you often find that the tenant is genuinely somebody who doesn't really have an option. Um, they, they don't they have haven't set up a substitute place where they can move to, uh, or they don't have the money because moving to a new place means you have to pay a deposit first. Um, and you have to, you know, pay whatever the rentals are. And then pr- probably because you've, you've not been paying your rental, maybe the landlord has already blacklisted you. Yeah. So, so there, there would be a lot of things that are going against the tenant at the time. Um, so typically, yes, you, you do find that you, tenants try to raise, let's say, softer issues. Uh, technically, legally, they don't often have an argument. Um, but uh, a lot of the times it's, you know, it's literally coming to plead uh, leniency. If you have a property, please give us a call. 11-883-0702. Is there a specific way that you've structured the ownership with your partners or with your family? I know that people have family trusts and all sorts of interesting things in order to insulate yourself against certain eventualities. Um, one of the things that comes to mind, Simba, is the issue of vetting, of checking whether somebody is a... Uh, a fit and proper per- person to be a tenant in your property. Um, uh, how is that process uh, usually carried out, and 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 what surety does it give anybody, if at all? Well, typically assurance. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, what you find is that most people who do invest, even informally, they because they typically will have a day job and they don't have the time um, or the access to, let's say, your trans unions or, or any of these other experience and, and that kind of um, um, agents who, who have carried this, this credit information. Um, so what, what, what typically happens is that you'll get the, the owner of the property um, signing with an agent. Um, a property management agent, and there's lots of them in this country. And then the agent is the one who then goes around um, procuring, either procuring the tenant for you, which fee includes um, the cost. The agent's fee. Yeah, yeah the agent's fee that you right. have to pay them for that will typically then include also the cost of ensuring that when the agent brings this tenant to you, that they have vetted them, they have checked their transunion credit records and all of that, and they're saying 
this person is has got a clean bill of of health but i suppose it's it's only as good as last as month. the person's history <laughs> <laughs> exactly absolutely yeah, yeah so so uh, but i think everybody has the same problem whoever yeah. has to deal with a transunion credit yeah. check yeah. um it, it has its limitations in that way um in this economy people get retrenched and and things can change exactly as you said from month to month um and so Yes, it is good though. I, I still think that it is the best practice. And, and if you have a property and you are renting it, um, I think also the transunions now do have a, uh, an avenue where even you as an individual can go and subscribe and, and pay a certain fee so that you can access credit records, um, as and when you need them. Um, but if you don't want to go to that little level of detail, uh, because it's also not easy sometimes to interpret this 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 report when you get it. Um, if you don't want to get to that level of detail, then you engage a property agent. Um, typically, they are commission based, um, so so they take their fees out of out of whatever commissions have been paid. And uh, yes, there are certain clauses as well. You have to be careful with 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 property agents, yeah. um, um, because you, you can also end up. Um, sort of uh, on the wrong side if you're not careful about what kind of agency agreement you've signed with them and what are they allowed to do and what is their obligation and what can they can they get money for or yeah. claim commission for yeah. um, typically they also um, sign out of any liability whatsoever regarding to what quality of tenant uh, it ends up being isn't it so so I think, yes, you, you can ensure that you, you at least do the basic due diligence on a potential t- tenant. Um, uh, yes, uh, and I'd, like I'm saying, the, the pedestrian way is just try to get an account with TransUnion Experian or, or this kind of thing. And um, uh, ideally, get, a, get an agent in place and then, and then hopefully they can give you much more insights into, into that. Maxwell Mazuras asks, hi, Aubrey, uh, ask your guests how many months notice for the landlord to give the tenant? Uh, for what purpose, please, Maxwell, if you could just uh, give us uh, uh, that information. Uh, but uh, perhaps you are thinking about investing in property for many different reasons. You would have heard the various, um, various reasons why you might invest in property. Property is one of those things. I can see it. It's a building. I can see it. It's, it's not some EFT. It's not mm. some, you know, it, I can see it. It is mm. my place. I can even walk around it <laughs> and say, this is my place. And I understand the allure of it. I understand why people would want to go into, and it's a piece of land or mm. it's a building. It appreciates in value perhaps over time and, mm. and so forth. Uh, but there are some pitfalls. Yeah. People need to understand those pitfalls. If you own a piece of property and you are renting it out or you own a piece of property, you want to flip it, you own a piece of property, you're just buying to sell, uh, give us a call. But what do you do with some of the issues that we're raising now around tenants, around uh, how, how do you deal with that, uh, uh, that eventuality? Bongani is in Soweto. Good evening to you, Bongani. Hi. Yeah, good evening to you. Go ahead, Bongani. Yeah, my problem is, you know, I've got a house in Soweto. Yeah. I, uh, I don't leave it to anybody, but some people just came in and stayed there. There's no agreement. They came to be my cousins and, yeah, they're staying there. They're not paying anything. There's no agreement. Now, I just wonder, how do I go about such How did they just walk into your house, Bongani? I wasn't there. I'm in Northwest most of the time. 
Then dad, uh, my kids were staying there with my wife. And then they just came in. My house is, uh, I think so it's got some rooms outside and all that. Now they stay in the rooms and they got their car packed in the yard and that guy doesn't move with the scrap. So is, are these relatives of yours? Distant relatives, yes. Okay, so there is some sort of uh, background, sort of uh, dispute around issues of um, access and their, their, the legality of access to the property, I suppose. There's no legality to the access for them. They just came to be my family. Yes, they are my distant family. Now they came something like, you know, their grandfather is something like that. So they are entitled to come and stay there. And this is my house. I'm paying everything. They pay nothing. And yeah. there's no agreement. They just invaded the, the place. Yeah. But it is slightly different to a scenario where just p- total strangers just walked into your property and just took over. It, it There are other little issues, whether they are... Uh, justified or not is perhaps something for the courts to decide but it sounds to me that it isn't just a matter of pure strangers walking into your property and uh, doing as they wish yeah yes like i say they are distant relatives you know we're late in a way yes yes the house is mine i've got a title i'm paying everything for the right. house they pay nothing right simba and they came up with that belongings it's just you know, put everything all, all over yep. the place. No, no, I, I hear hmm. you. I hear you. Yeah. Uh, Bongani, please listen uh, uh, on the radio. Yeah, hi, Bongani. I think it's a difficult uh, situation that you find yourself in, but it's not uh, unusual. Yeah. Um, oftentimes, there's an inheritance um, of a house or something like this, and uh, uh, there's a tenant or some family member was staying maybe with, with the person who's deceased, and then you have people who stay over and, and there's disputes about, you know, uh, continued use and access to it. I think in Mongani's case, my, my initial advice would be if there's family involved, um, is, would it not then, then be possible to sit with them, have a discussion about signing a lease with them? Um, whoever is is the primary person or the the, the primary Look, occupier. We still have Bongani, so let's 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 okay. get Bongani. You still there? I'm still here. Yes, I'm listening. So, so uh, do you have the kind of relationship with these distant family uh, members or relatives that you could sit down with them and have a conversation about a lease, or is that out of the question? Uh, I think it's out of the question. We don't have that, uh, you know, relationship. Uh, I mean, by relationship, I mean that friendliness thing you know we just know each other years distant relatives but they want to claim that now they are you know they just came in and came and stayed in and came up with their belongings and their scrap cars and all that now i want to Something like that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> and they are not too close to that Kulu anyway. No, no, I, I hear that. It's, 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 it's the reason why I'm, I'm sort of wanting to excavate that uh, issue is because uh, it's perhaps not just as simple as 
perfect strangers walking into your into yeah. your property. There's other issues that become part of that. But let, let's see what Simba has to say. Okay, uh, uh, Simba, I'm yeah. not going to interrupt anymore. <laughs> Look, Bogani, I understand. Um, it, it might not be an easy conversation to be had. Uh, and I understand that the nature of the relationship is is, uh, is fractious now. It's, it's not a friendly uh, environment. But... Uh, Look, even if it was a stranger, um, I would have said, unless the, your, your intention was that you want to sort of evict them so that you can, uh, let's say, repay and, and conduct um, renovations so that you can sell the property or, or what have you. Um, I would say, especially also because there is that familial connection that it is best, um, whether through a, a lawyer or, or, or if, if you can't do it directly, of course, or an in, a mediator of some kind to approach the, the situation with, look, here's a lease agreement. If you're going to continue to live here, these are the terms on which you, sh- you, you can continue to live here. And it's only fair that you also pay a rental or, or, and or that you pay the rates and taxes and, and any other, anything else that goes with that. Um, to the extent that, that, that obviously fails, um, or you are unwilling to take that route, then the only real option for you would then be to sue them for, for occupational rent, um, which would be to say, look, you've been staying here for so many number of years. You haven't paid anything towards the, the, the property or rentals. And over and above that, at this stage, I consider you to be a legal occupier. So I'm going to now put an application in terms of the PI Act to, to get you evicted as, as illegal occupiers. Yeah. And as I've said, it's, it, it, it's a process that, that, that is just bureaucratic. It, it takes paperwork moving from point A to point B. There's a small legal, well, I shouldn't say small, I, I, otherwise most lawyers will be stoning me outside. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's a cost involved um, if, if you go the, the route of applying to court because unfortunately with a pie eviction, you have to apply to the court to evict this person and you have to serve them the papers that you are making this application to evict them. They can decide that they want to oppose this application. This will prolong the process. As we know, our courts don't necessarily always have the, the fastest turnaround times. Um, so you, you then have to wait um, um, for that process to, to run out. And um, eventually you might have your eviction order. And then there's still the complication of after you have the eviction order, you you still need to implement it or, or to execute that order. And that often means if they are really that uh, recalcitrant, uh, that, that you now need to go in and say, bring some, 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 some heavy lifters, bring a, a baki of your own and, and, you know, load the things. Uh, under, get the red ants. Uh, yes, get the red ants, so to speak. Um, but, but yeah, it, it is a very sensitive situation that you are in. Um, I wouldn't be quick to say take option A or option B. I think the the most, let's say, peaceful way, I think, is to try to get them at least to pay. Um, and I think this would this would deal with at least half of your problem. Well, well, it sounds to me like Bongani doesn't want them to pay. He doesn't want yeah. them there. Yeah. Simple as that. But, but you know, one of the conversations we've been having on the show is the whole issue of the constitutionalization of the law. Yeah. The Ubuntuification of mm, the law. Mm. And the reason why I kept on going back to Bongani and asking, ah, but these are not just strangers, <laughs> is because I can almost, and, I've, and, I, and, I, and I say this because I've had conversations on this very platform where people have said, yeah, the proverbial Bongani mm. inherited this, this property 
mm-hmm. through fraudulent m- mm-hmm. and I'm not saying that's the case with Bongan yeah. but I'm saying that the, those are the kinds of arguments that then yeah this is actually my my grandfather's house mm-hmm. this one and Bongani eh, 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 you know the story and yeah. somebody's going to say no 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 but 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 even though Bongani has all of the documents to yeah. to to prove that I have the title I'm the one paying for mm. uh, what what could happen is that that kind of argument that uh, ensues and because the law is is ubuntuified mm. it's not just a matter of uh, no this one has got the title deed he's yeah. got the accounts so you must leave it's not it's not long yeah. it's not longer that way mm. so so I, uh, so it it sounds to me like you're saying that we must be able to understand that we will have to submit ourselves to due process. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and unfortunately, or fortunately, uh, and again, there, there's a 50-50 here. Um, most landlords will tell you this is totally unfair and grossly inappropriate sure. for, for me to have borne the brunt of people squatting in my premises for years, not paying anything, and then now I must be the one again to incur all of this cost to 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 get them off the property or these unlawful occupiers. So, yes, um, unfortunately, it's exactly as you said. Our constitution is our constitution. Our, our law is our law. And, and tenants have uh, protections and unlawful occupiers, believe it or not, have protections. Um, so the only thing is that it, you, he, he just needs to go through the process and, and tick the boxes and deal with whatever arguments come from the other side. Um, and I think one of the interesting things that you brought up, I mean, going back to a topic we had, I think one of the first yeah. uh, interviews we had was around succession planning, especially in business and investments. And this really rings the gong of what I said when I started. If you are investing in property because you want it to be inherited at some point by your children or, or in the future you want it to stay, there's a particular way that you have to structure that. Um, in order to ensure that mm. these kinds of disputes and this uh, contestation between your beneficiaries mm. or, or your descendants uh, gets taken care of in advance up front by the right legal structure. And, and then that way you can, you can almost ensure that these kinds of disputes uh, um, don't end up getting to the level um, where maybe where Bongani is sitting at right now. Komoto writes, good evening, gentlemen. We had a tenant that took us to hell and back and ended up and ended up not paying in 2017. They also ruined our property. Uh, our garage was converted into a room for their helper. The agency we, we used protected them and we never got justice. In the case too old or is the case too old or can we still take the agent to task? 2017. Well, I, I'm afraid that that one probably would have prescribed now. I mean, in terms of our law, generally, you have three years from the date when you knew of the, of, of the let's say, debt to yeah. you yeah. Um, to bring the case. Um, so, uh, and look, interrupting prescription, which is the technical term we use in, in, in the legal field, it can be as much as sending an email to say, oh, hi, agent, I still want to sue you for for what you did or taking positive steps, send a letter of demand, uh, um, something positive to, 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 to show that you really do have an intent to, to sue this person for the damages they've caused. But uh, I, it, it's, a, it's a technical point of law that I think would need to be assessed on the facts. So I would, I would advise her to um, probably approach a lawyer and see if, if there is a, a, a prescription issue. Uh, in, in this case, but again, this is something that we often see 
um, where there's poor property management. Uh, and I'm not saying that was her case. I mean, she had an agent and she relied on the agent. And obviously the agent was not doing their job. And as I say to you earlier, that's why it's important when you, when you sign the agency agreements that you don't sort of like take a, an armchair landlord perspective. You, you also need to do your own sort of due diligence, yeah. visit the place, yeah. see if everything is going according to plan. Has the property not been burned down in your absence? Um, and, and also take the agent to task. Um, and, uh, and ensure that you, you, you really are negotiate a very, very strenuous contract when it comes to key performance indicators for that agent so that they're also meeting their performance, um, um obligations and, and not just sort of taking the, the money from you at the end of, uh, every month. Yeah. The, the Marshalltown, um, building story mm. comes to mind as you mm. talk about that, uh, about the management of property, mm. whoever the owner is, whoever the agent is. Because it, it, it opens everybody up to all sorts of, of, of unfairnesses mm. and, 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 yeah. So it, management sounds like a very important thing. I want to go back to, um, to, uh, to, uh, Maxwell Mazura's question mm. around the issue of, how many months notice for the landlord to give the tenant? I'm not sure exactly for what purpose because there could be so many different things. But yeah. I mean, he hasn't come back to me. So okay. uh, perhaps you could, uh, yeah, you, yeah. You, could, you could use your own imagination there. Yeah? <laughs> so look, I mean, typically uh, there, there is a, a breach of contract notice. So initially you have your lease and then let's say the lease uh, typically has clauses in there that says if there's a breach of contract, that the other party can notify. Typically, it says seven days, um, seven days to rectify the breach of contract. And then if the the tenant is not uh, rectified or the, the party that is in breach is not rectified, then the innocent party then uh, can give notice of termination of the contract. And um, so the first place I would always go to is what does your contract say? Um, but as I said earlier, the question of evicting someone is not just a question of, of your lease or your private contract, you now also have to then comply with the act. And what the act says is that you must make an application to the court. Um, and this is a simple enough process. You go to an attorney, you, you prepare the documentation, uh, draw up the documents, the attorney lodges your case, and then the application is, is, is in. And once the application is in, it then gets, gets heard, uh, by the, by the presiding officer and, um, from that point onwards, then the sheriff is then given a notice that the sheriff then has to serve. And I think it's a 14-day notice that they have to serve. Um, so then you have to wait for the 14 days before then um, the eviction can be processed. I think what you're saying answers Undercover Brother's tweet here. Mm. Um, Undercover Brother is the name on the on the handle. It says, what happens if in my in my... In my, or in my or our agreement, I put in a clause that if they don't pay in one month, they must leave or I change the locks. We agree that we agree on that on day one. And you're saying that yeah, that might be an agreement that you both have. But if your agreement is in breach of what the act says, then your agreement becomes null and void, right? Yes. So that clause essentially is null and void. Um, look, I, I have also engaged in situations where the landlord says to me, yeah, I change the locks. Uh, when they went out to work in the morning and they came back, this is an illegal eviction. Um, and, and, and the tenant can bring an action against you. Um, 
for for perpetrating an illegal eviction for whatever damages they might have incurred because of this. Um, I, I think you you and this is why I'm saying you have to be careful how you structure these agreements when you get into them. I, I can understand the intention of the parties is fairly straightforward, but there is a legal a whole legal uh, what you call it. Iceberg under the under the water level, yeah. right? And and you so you you need to also make sure that whatever you are agreeing with third parties or with your tenants and, and your partners actually is legal and compliant. Because now you're going to find yourself at the receiving end of a lawsuit or or, or a violation or an offence in terms of the act, um, which is a far more serious mm. uh, issue on your hands. Let's talk about the deposit. Mm. Um. How is the deposit determined? How do you do you determine the deposit that is to be paid in by your your tenant? So uh, that that is a pure contractual issue. Um, typically, people ask for one month's rental. I think in some some instances they might ask for two or three months rental. One of the factors that that does come into play with with deposits is also the credit rating of of the tenant. Um, so you'll find that with most tenants who maybe have a, a dodgy credit rating or they can't find the credit rating of this tenant, <clears throat> that your your agent will then advise, no, look, um, maybe we can ask this uh, tenant for up to three months rent uh, as deposit because that money, remember, sits there as a kind of a security if there are any damages to the property. Should, 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 it, should it accrue interest? It should. It should, okay. it should be deposited in an interest-bearing account. And that interest accrues to the tenant. So, and, and 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 ultimately, I suppose, and we've really just looked at one aspect of property investment and how we can structure this. But what is the rule of thumb generally uh, about property investment and what we can do to insulate ourselves, mm. uh, both as tenants and as landlords, yeah. from life's eventualities? Yeah. As a rule of thumb. So, as a rule of thumb, I would say. If you're an individual and you, let's say, are high net worth, uh, in, whether in your own mind or, or officially, I would say set up a trust. Um, a trust is good for you because it, it allows for succession, ease of succession, and it, it, it's, it's also a very safe tax structure for you to, to hold your investments in generally. Um, it also separates your individual so if one property is not performing very well and then you end up in fights with the bank that that is dealt with in a separate legal entity and and your personal record does not then end up getting affected by all of this so i'd say so a company up, wouldn't be wouldn't be yes sufficient. so so the uh, look in my opinion i think the ideal structure if you're an individual would be to set up a trust and then that trust can then own the shares in a company a right. pty limited um the reason why you would rather own shares in a PTY limited rather than the trust is because of the relative tax. So a, a, t- a trust is generally taxed at, at, a, at a higher uh, income tax rate. And, and obviously because it's a property, it generates monthly income for you. So it might not be very efficient to own the property in, in the trust. Um, the other reason why it would be, it's good to hold the property in a PTY um, is that that PTY if ever you want to sell the property, 
you can then sell the shares in the PTY to whoever is buying because ah, the PTY right, holds right, the underlying right, asset. Right, right, right. So it does create uh, some level of tax efficiency in the, in those transactions. Simba, we've absolutely run out of time, but you see that there's a part two to this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. So how do people get in touch with you if they want to uh, consult, they want to continue this conversation with you? Yeah, please uh, drop us or drop me an email, simba.takuva at takuvalaw.com. Um, otherwise, just go to our website and leave a query. Uh, that's takuvalaw.com. And uh, yeah, we'd be very happy to assist uh, some of your listeners. Simba Takuva, Director of Takuva.